welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Vincent Rodriguez. And he is the leading force behind Anvi Invest since its inception. And coming from an analytical background, he leads a team in the acquisition of new assets. And he's also a podcast host himself. So Vincent, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? And thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you for having me, Eileen, a fellow Californian. Yes, I know. You just live really close by. I usually go down to the South Coast Plaza right near there. So your area is uh, pretty familiar and a nice place to be. <laughs> Yeah, you can actually walk to South Coast from my house. It's just down the street. Oh, <laughs> it's very convenient then, especially yeah, during Christmas is. time. <laughs> yeah, just all the gifts I forgot, I could just run to the store. Oh, yes. And they're building so many amazing new restaurants there and the food, food area. So that's really nice and convenient. <laughs> yeah, it is. So Vincent, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah, so I'm originally from South India. I moved here about 16 years ago. I have a bachelor's and master's in mechanical engineering. So like everybody else's journey, I it started by reading Rich Dad Poor Dad about five years ago. And then I spent the next six months very depressed that I wasted my whole life uh, searching a career and then about W2 and all that stuff. So yeah, eventually got into buying a triplex in Bakersfield. And then it took about a year to buy the second one. And then pretty much all of my assets have been bought during the pandemic. So when people were holding back and kind of taking a step back in real estate, because I remember at the start of the pandemic, everybody didn't know what was going on. People stopped doing deals. People were under contract for some deals and they pulled out. But you actually bought and purchased real estate during that time. How did those deals come about and like what were you looking for at that time? I was actually in a very unique position. So the interesting thing about my story is that I spent the last two years before the pandemic really struggling and trying to figure out how the industry worked, right? So I did the triplex. It took me nine months to stabilize it and actually collect rents to even make the mortgage and make a couple of dollars. And then the next year I was able to buy the another duplex. So I had five units. It was only worth like $400,000. Then I was like, okay, now I kind of get it, like what's happening. So then I was able to really go dig deep and just say, everybody was like kind of running out the door, like, oh, this is not going to work out. And I just really took like huge, like immense amounts of risks because I was not worth anything at that point. So it, it didn't matter for me. I'm like, okay, I could just literally buy 10 houses on my credit card and everything goes to nothing. Okay. I'm just where I am today. Like, my worst case, and I always tell people, your worst case scenario you keep telling me about, bro, is what your life is today. That is your worst case scenario. So it doesn't matter if you take immense amounts of risks at that point. Now I'm definitely more conservative. I have a lot of assets under management. I have other people's money involved. So now I've kind of changed my attitude, but I started off being very aggressive. So what did you learn when you were starting to take over those properties and to stabilize them like from the start to the finish of operating a multifamily unit apartment? 
Yeah, so I don't know if a lot of people know, I like to joke and say that I live in a communist republic of California. <laughs> so it's a very tough place to do business and move tenants out. I actually have, a, tenants haven't paid me rent in like a year. So if you don't have the financial capability to kind of like take on that kind of no payments, then you're going to lose properties, right? So what did I learn? I forgot about the people aspect of real estate. I did all the analytics, the materials, costs, contractors, all of those things. But I forgot that, well, tenants might not pay and contractors might steal your money and run. So that was the big learning experience and curve for me. But once you kind of figure that out, you can just account for that too, then you're fine. So what are the solutions that you had to implement or what are some of the things that you needed to do to combat the tenants not paying their rents? Yeah, so that's a good question. The biggest thing is I live in Orange County and we both live in Orange County, California. It's very expensive. So when I started, I didn't have the money to buy stuff here. Like the house I live in is a million dollars. There's no way I could have bought this house with my, even though we make six figures in California, it's still very difficult and afford something like this. So I started in Bakersfield where we bought a higher cap rates, which means you get more return on your money in paper, in theory, not really though. So I bought, started buying that because of the triplex was about $260,000, $256,000, but the rents was about $3,000. So it hits the 1% rule and all those things. So I started there, but what I didn't understand was the areas that we bought the properties in were not that good. So that makes it harder to make any math work if you don't have income coming in, right? So I got over it is the mortgage was only like, I don't know, $2,000, $2,000 is something I could pay because I have a partner, Andrew, so we can easily afford $2,000 a month. Right now, my mortgage is at like $47,000 a month. I cannot afford that kind of game, right? So now I slowly started buying in better areas. So I went from Baker School to Inland Empire. Inland Empire is much nicer. Riverside County is like nicer areas and like outside of Mentone, the Redlands, those kind of areas is better. And then now last year I started buying in Orange County. And so for you, as you've been operating and you've been looking at the different properties to get into real estate, this entire time, have you also been working a full-time job too, or are you doing real estate full-time? No, I'm not doing real estate full-time. I actually am an engineer. I work for a medical device company in Orange County. Very good company. You don't have to come back home and like be stressed out about jobs. Just do a nine-to-five and you're can just move on from that. So yeah, I still do that job full time. So a lot of our listeners are also, they're working professionals at the same time. And so if they're looking to build up their wealth within real estate, what are some of the things that you had to do to set into place to be able to still work your full-time job, be able to invest in real estate, and then following that, operate it and still manage your portfolio? Yeah, that's a tough question and a great question. So I would say for people is to start with why. Why do you want to do all these things? That's very important. I have a very close relationship with my family. I have a sister and I have two nieces. I'm very close with them. So I do most things for them. I don't have kids or wife or anything like that. So my whole estate is owned by my sister. So I'm very pro-family kind of guy. So I kind of do that. So that's a very strong why for me. So I would like not stop at anything to kind of like take care of them. So that's the reason I do most things. I also like my friends, the people who partner with me, my buddy Drew, and then his family, his mom, kind of like my parents to me at this point. So those people I like to take care of because I think from the movie Spider-Man, I always think 
uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Most people won't be able to do what we can do. So I think it's our responsibility to take care of people who cannot do that or, you know, you want to teach them. So that's my why. So that I'm, I kind of like, that's why I do it. But the way I do it is I have a lot of systems in place. I go to the gym in the morning and then I go to work and then I have a one hour window during work if I wanted to look up properties or something. And then I come back home and I kind of do real estate. And I went really hard for five years, like super hard. But now I kind of like relax a little bit, but I still like to do it. So I don't think of it as work. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. In the areas that you've been investing in, so in the early stages like Bakersfield, and when you were in a market that had more challenging tenant base, what are some of the things that you had to do to manage within those bounds and manage within those tenant bases to make sure things are still operating smoothly, that you're still being able to collect some rents? Because we're going to face difficult tenants, residents throughout careers as landlords. It's just inevitable. But particularly, you're working in an environment where there's maybe a little bit more of that than other places. So how did you manage that? Yeah, the way to do it is, I mean, uh, nothing, you know, teaches you better than experience. So take on things that you can afford to kind of pay for if people don't pay for it, right? Like if all of my tenants don't pay now, I will be in really big trouble because I can't afford, I don't make $47,000 a month to just pay for all of the expenses, right? So then I won't be able to do that. So, but I put in systems in place now that even if like break even point, like if six or seven out of 10 tenants pay, and I'm still fine. And then I have reserves and then I still make, Drew and I make like $250,000, a year. So we can take on some amount of pain, right? But the way to do it is going into better areas and stuff. But to go back to your question, you're asking, how did I do the properties that I had with the C? Is you kind of have to deal with people like how you can't be like very Orange County person to kind of like, oh, I'm going to just sit back and relax. They're going to just troll you and not pay any rent. So I'm kind of like, I can get down and get dirty and do things. The first property I bought, like they were all doing meth and cooking stuff and just doing drugs. In the, all day. In the units? In the units. So oh. I said, okay, that's cool. I just put a cop in the middle unit. They all disappeared like within 24 hours. Oh, really? Yeah. I said, you hey, put good a, luck, guys. Yeah. You put a cop like as a resident inside? Yeah, as a resident. And I said, hey, you know, just make sure you have your open carry. And he's like, yeah, no problem. Done. Everybody disappeared. And then that's how I got rid of those guys. I tried to play nice and be like, hey, you know, you want to pay rent, you know, it's the right thing to do. And I said, you know what, maybe you should get shot. So how did you find a cop to rent in the apartment? I just had the property manager look for people. And then I said, oh, I like this application. It says he's an off-duty cop or he was an investigator or something. So he always carries uh, firearms with him. So And he was okay to live 
yeah, next was, door neighbors to <laughs> yeah it was a triplex and he lived in the middle and that area was bad but i kind of fenced his property and i cleaned it up really good actually i sold that property for two hundred thousand dollar profit last year in wow. just four years that is definitely one way to go about it just put a cop right in the middle and it'll just yeah. boom it all up <laughs> i know right you gotta fight fire with fire sometimes <laughs> And so you said that now you're focusing in the Orange County market. Why Orange County? Well, for one, I know the market very well. I live here. I own a home here. So that's, and then I like the market and it's much better uh, tenant class, right? And then I'm actually pivoting my business to no more long-term rentals and it's going to be all mid-term and short-term. So we actually furnish it and then rent to traveling nurses and like people, like in Placentia, you can do short-term rentals with the business license. So we're doing that as well. So that's what we're doing. But we're also looking at red states like Tennessee. So we'll be moving some of our... I'm selling everything in Bakersfield. It's on sale right now. I just sold one yesterday. So there's just three more properties left. So with the money, I'm going to be 1031 exchanging into properties in Tennessee. I also have a small GP LP position in a 44 unit in Florida as well. And so for those properties that you're moving into in like the Tennessee and um, some parts of Florida as well, are you looking to continue to expand in those areas or are you also looking in other markets? Yes. Yeah, so I am wanting to expand in Tennessee market. My sister lives in Georgia. So it's like I want to be with some properties in that area so I can just travel there, kind of hang out with family. So that's one reason. Also, it's more business friendly, it's easier to have people, plus the price to enter is much lower. My doors here in California are like half a million a door, which is ridiculous. Like what? That's just insane. So I want to go more towards like maybe 200 bucks a door and you can get like, you know, two, 3000 in rents with the furnished. How are you finding tenants for your, I guess, short-term and midterm rentals? Short term is Airbnb, basically. And then for midterm, there's a site called Furnish Finder. That's a really good site. So that site kind of puts you in touch with the traveling nurses. That's basically 90% traveling nurses who have great credit. I'm like, this is great. And then also sometimes people get displaced from their homes because there's flood or there's a fire or something. So insurance people also want to get in touch with you and they put a family in a home and then they'll pay top dollar for it too. And you said that those are primarily fully furnished apartment units that you're renting out. Yeah. So all of my Orange County units, they're all fully furnished units. Yes. Okay. And then the Tennessee properties that you have over there, what are you looking to do with those properties? Is it the same business model of the short-term, mid-term rentals? Yeah. So I don't have anything in Tennessee yet. So I had 29, but I have 27 today in California and the 44 unit, which I'm like, I own 2%. So it's like, I don't even bring it up of that 44 unit in Lakeland, Florida. But Tennessee is what I'm going to do. When we sell the Bakersfield portfolio, we should have about 400,000 and then we could buy something for like a million and a half or something like that. Also raise some capital from our friends here so we could buy a couple million dollars worth of properties in Tennessee. That's the goal. Got it. And so Vincent, for you, what has been the biggest challenge as you've been growing your business in real estate? For me specifically, it's been scaling the business and the growing pains and uh, dealing with very less cash flow because of how aggressive I went. I'm so lean and there's no real cash flow at all because we do have a lot of partners. So most, to be honest, it'll be most of the money. I mean, I would say all of the money 
will go towards distributions and just maintaining the property. Even though we have a huge equity position in all of the deals we do, there's no real money for me and Drew to actually enjoy and like buy like nice watches. So we basically just live off our jobs, which is good high paying jobs, but we don't really take a lot of money or any money. Like in five years, I would say I made like $5 in terms of cash flow on my part, but we do have millions in equity, I would say for sure. So Vincent, how has real estate investing impacted your life? I would say it's kind of like changed my life in terms of how you understand money, monetary policy, fiscal policy, what the feds does, central governments, money printing, inflation. It's just like taking a different spin on my life in terms of understanding and teaching people. So real estate investing is one way to build wealth because of depreciation, appreciation, tax flow, cash flow, and a tax benefit, sorry, and all of those things. But you start to delve deeper and you start understanding like macroeconomics and all those things are more fascinating for me. And if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Do more deals, raise more money, partner with more people. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? It's the uh, people who don't give up, right? So it's failure is only failure if you stop trying. It's not really a failure if you keep going. Like my first house, I would say was a disaster for the first year. Four years later, it turned out to be very profitable. So if you keep sticking to it, then, you know you can always win in real estate. So Vincent, where can our listeners find out more about you? So easiest way is to find us on Instagram. It's on we invest, which is a N V I invest. We also have our podcast. It's called R E social podcast. Awesome. Vincent, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Aline. And thank you for listening to our podcast today brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it. If you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.